Hello, I'm Nancy Lynn Westfield, director of the Wabash Center. Welcome to Dialogue on Teaching, a silhouette interview. The silhouette conversations are sparked from a list of standardized questions. We have the good fortune to hear firsthand from teaching exemplars about their teaching and teaching life. Today, our silhouette guest is Dr. Mitzi J. Smith. Dr. Smith is the J. Davidson Phillips Professor of New Testament with Columbia Theological Seminary and Professor Extraordinarius with University of South Africa. Welcome, Dr. Smith, to the conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the invitation. It's great to be here, Dr. Westfield. So let's get started with our 13 questions. Number one, when you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? You know, I've been listening to your podcast and I've been reflecting and I can't think of one thing. Stop it, Mitzi. You had something in mind. I can't think. I can't think. In fact, even becoming a professor or even getting a PhD was my mother's idea first, long before it was mine. Okay. Uh, I remember wanting to, like in high school, wanting to uh, learn skills that would get me an immediate job out of high school. Mm-hmm. To make I some money, right? You wanted yes, to make some I didn't. Money. I was tired of being poor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I did not. I didn't think about going to college. Mm-hmm. And I ended up going to school so much, people asked me, when are you going to stop? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fair. So, and you might have started answering this question, but the next question is, who was proud of you when you became a teacher? Yes, yes. My mother was, of course, uh, she died in 2009, but she was proud of me when I when I got my PhD. Uh, she was too sick to attend the graduation ceremonies, um, and I almost didn't go because of that, but I did go because I know that she was the one that pushed me and said that you need to get a PhD. And I'm thinking, and what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then my brother, I'd say, who died during COVID uh, about two Thanksgivings ago. Uh, he read every book I wrote and talked about me as a professor to whoever would listen. Yes. So now our listeners, I know a little bit, our listeners don't know, you had a career before you did a PhD in Bible. So just, just give us the arc of your education and, and careers. Yes. So uh, in high school, I trained to in office education. And I was, in terms of skills, was one of the top in my class, you know, typing over 100 words a minute. You're going to be a secretary. In high school, yes, I was going to be a secretary. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, yes. And I worked in Nationwide Insurance in Columbus, Ohio. When they had mad cards, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> IBM mad cards. And I think two months in, I was bored. I'm like, okay, I'm going to school, but I don't want to go to four years. So I got a two year degree uh, in um, office and legal, uh, what they call it, applied business. That's a legal to do legal secretarial work, right? Uh, I, I worked in a law firm. While well, in a law firm, I went to Capital University to become a certified legal assistant. Right. I I worked in D.C. and D.C. law firms and so forth. And my mother kept saying, "Why don't you get a law degree?" I wish I had listened. 
<laughs> that, that didn't work for any lawyers I admired, right? I, I was, you know, uh, uh, not in not in the way that made me want to do that, right? Uh, so I went. Uh, uh, so so I went to somewhere in between. I went to uh, get a bachelor's degree in theology. I was a Seventh Day Adventist at Columbia Union College in Maryland, Tacoma Park, Maryland. It's now named something else. Um, coming out of there, uh, naively thinking perhaps I would uh, get a calling in the Seventh Day Adventist Church. I did not, but I had a scholarship to go to Ohio State University. And um, earned a, uh, a bachelor's in, I'm sorry, a master's of art in Black studies, right? And uh, this was during apartheid, right? So I was learning about apartheid and uh, and went back, uh, didn't have a job, went back to the legal secretarial field. It actually was in D.C. when apartheid ended uh-huh. and Nelson Mandela became president was outside in front of my law firm. I ran out there, ran to the front of the line and shook his hand. Uh, yes. So, and then later, um, as a seven-day Adventist, serving as a local elder, I just became so uh, dissatisfied, unhappy, and decided I would stop listening to the church and went to get my MDiv at Howard University School of Divinity. And... Um, Spent an extra year there as well in preparation to enter a doctoral program and uh, was accepted at Harvard and started the degree in religion. And and in all of that, do you wish you had done it differently? I wish, well, at Harvard, I'd done a dual degree that I had gotten a law, um, gotten a JD. I remember being there when Johnny Cochran came to speak at the law school and I went to hear him and I was just so motivated by the work he was doing. I'm like, darn it, I wish. You and Barbara Holmes, justice and law (laughs) and Bible and law and theology and law and teaching and justice, all those, um, you both see those very clearly as fitting together. That's fascinating because everybody doesn't see that, right? Everybody does not see that law is about justice and the teaching of theology and Bible is about justice. Yeah. So uh, you, you are kindred spirits. Um, who has influenced your teaching for the better? I would say, well, well let me start with in terms of a well, a what? I'd say Wabash Center. Mm-hmm. Wabash Center over the years. I remember attending my first pre-tenure workshop and uh, Daisy Machado, Benny Lou, and, um, oh, his name's escaping me, out of Chicago. Um, Dwight Hopkins were uh, the facilitators. And I remember... Uh, uh, Daisy Machado, Dr. Machado, making this, asking us if our syllabus, our syllabi reflected our passions. Mm-hmm. And it was that, it was uh, there where, you know, it hit me that it didn't, right? I'm teaching the way I was taught. It's not totally bad. You know, they come up, our teachers came up with a different generation and so forth. Um and neither did my scholarship yet reflect my passions. How do I make those intersect? And so ever since that moment, I, I began on a different trajectory, yes, my research and my teaching. And then I say my students, right, mm-hmm. trying to 
and and the community I come from, right? What is it that my community needs? What is it that uh, my students need, right? And what is it that I need to keep teaching? Mm -hmm. To keep to keep the passions yes. flowing, right? Yes, to keep them yes. alive. Yes, yeah. yes. Okay. What has surprised you about teaching or the teaching life? Mm. I guess what surprised me. Um, a lot of things, I guess, but <laughs> I think the thing that comes to mind is how, if we're not careful, how much, um, I'll, I'll say how much institutions can remove some of the joy of teaching if we're not careful. You want to say more about that or leave that right where it is? <laughs> no, but because I, I hear yes, the, yes, um, yes, yes. Okay. I mean, there there is a disconnection oftentimes between institutional life and, and your call, your adventure, your passion for teaching. And yeah. that sometimes is it smacks up against the citizenship requirement of institutions. Uh, yes, uh, the... I don't think that institutions and people run institutions, right? And sometimes people who have been teachers, which is which is a, a which is shocking often, right? Uh, uh, but they're, they're the whole mostly to hold up the structures that are already there, the institutions, right? That are, can be so draining, uh, can be unwelcoming to women and uh, black people, people of color. Uh, so that they become a drain on your life, can be a, become a drain on your creativity, can um, uh, can be a drain on you psychologically, uh, and so uh, it, it can impact uh, your enthusiasm for the classroom. And, and even if we think about the pandemic and going online, uh, it, it seems like administrators were not um well they would administrators can say we know people are tired we know but here do this thing this <laughs> next thing right yeah, yeah, <laughs> right yeah. mm -hmm. and uh, uh you know we're trying to be uh adjust because our students are tired mm -hmm. uh but there's not that similar adjustment for us Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And we all are tired. I mean, I, I, I've had some ailments, I mean, the swelling of my neck recently, <laughs> it's just, mm -hmm. uh, that I, I, I'm clear. I mean, I've had blood work and everything. It, it appears to be uh, connected with stress. Sure. And mm -hmm. I, you know, I try to walk when I can. I try to eat right, right? But stress, stress can be a killer. It can be a killer on your joy and so forth. So you're constantly trying to, in some instances, even before the pandemic, you know, people of color, women, you know, struggle with uh, um, issues of sexism, racism, and so forth, right? Uh, but with the added pandemic, it's like you have to be somehow find new ways, right, to to guard our, our, our souls, to guard our enthusiasm for teaching and so forth, to talk to ourselves, to encourage ourselves, to encourage one another, to keep doing this work. Mm -hmm. I was talking to uh, friends recently and we were saying 
that the kind of fatigue we're feeling now is a new kind of fatigue, right? And we were trying to get a handle on it. We were trying to describe it. It's like, what in the world are we up against? And I'm not sure we ever did, right? But we we have recognized it as there's some new kind of fatigue that we are grappling with here. This is not business as usual, like before the typical fatigue before the quarantine, right? There's something new. Um, what is a favorite nickname by which you are called by a loved one? So my nieces, grandnieces, and nephews and nephew call me Aunt Mitty. <laughs> okay. Aunt Mitty, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's sweet, right? That's sweet. Yes. What profession other than teaching would you like to attempt? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I'm clear about that. But I have a lot of anxiety around it. Uh, I I would love to try uh, to to uh, to be a stand-up comedian. Stop it! You have said that before. I think that is hysterical, <laughs> Mitzi. I think that is marvelous. We could we could work at that. That we could make that happen. And I need a mask. I just people know what this thing. My sisters, you know, I can make, you know, my, my younger sister's like, she, she just love, you know, I love to see people laugh, right? And it make people laugh. She said, you should do it. You should do it. I thought about it at one point going on Twitter and wearing a costume. Mm-hmm. I not know it's me, right? Because I, I am, I do, ha- I am uh, an introvert. But I, but I also had this desire to make people laugh, and I think I have a great sense of humor. I tampered it at one time because I remember in church, I I find humor in so many different things in his sermons, and I bust out laughing. I'm like, Mitzi, that's not cool. and nobody else thought it was funny. And you're like, but don't you hear the irony in that? That's hysterical. Yeah, my laugh is loud, right? And people look around. What is laughing? <laughs> or didn't y'all find that funny? <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking sooner than later, right? Don't wait too long. Don't wait too long. Um, do you enjoy writing in longhand? And if so, what is your preference of ink pen or writing utensil? I, I, I do. And I recently, within the last year, discovered these uh, uh, these pens called Kaka Rabbit gel pens. Kaka Rabbit. And and I love them. And I, I, I didn't realize that they also have a stylus on the on one end of them, right? Because I don't use a stylus. So yes, I do. And I take notes. We had a search uh, ethics search this uh uh this past week and last week, and I'm taking notes on my notepad. And I also sometimes, a lot of times, more often than the meeting, I will not bring my laptop. I'll bring I have a piece of paper or a notepad. I think also in terms of meetings, there's a little bit of anxiety around uh, suspicion of Black people, right? If you're on the laptop, you're doing something else during the meeting, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You are not paying attention. You are skylarking. Yes, yes. Um, and, and the point is that suspicion is not levied against other people, right? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. right, right. Uh, yes, that has been my experience as well. Mm-hmm. What is your superpower? Uh, maybe it is um, my sense of humor. Uh, I'd say somewhere between my sense of humor and compassion. Uh, yes, yes. I can't say any more about that. So can I say one of your superpowers? Okay. So I don't think this is to be uh, taken for granted. And I also don't think because everybody with a PhD is smart. Mitzi Smith, you are smart. Thank you, Dr. Lynn. Thank you. Thank you. 
you, you know, there, there's a way that you see multiple perspectives at the same time and you never shrink from complexity. That's a that's a smart that is rarely in the room. So I marvel at that. I have oftentimes marveled at that. So thank you. Oh, thank you. What's your favorite cuss word? Oh, I think since uh, all the videos and so forth, my mom would turn over in her grave because she would not even let us call a person a fool. Uh, what the fudge? I bet it's not fudge, of course. <laughs> <laughs> the F-bomb, the F-bomb. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I get it, I get it, okay. How have you survived certain violences in teaching? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, uh, you know, Dr. Reeves wrote in her essay in this new volume uh, that is a tribute to uh, Dr. Katie Cannon that we rise above, right? We've had to rise above the traumas and the injuries. And that's so true, right? I even think about... Um, because uh, we can't keep going, you know, if we become too bitter, if we be, if we allow those things to eat at us, mm -hmm. we can't keep doing what we doing, we're doing, right? Or stay in the spaces as long as we have to until we have to move on, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I remember when the, uh, in my former school, when uh, they um, attempted to or did first deny me tenure, I had to appeal, right? Um and 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 then stay you know stay longer until I can find a better you know a different place a better place, uh, but I had to to stay there and to have any kind of joy the years that I stayed beyond that um, I could not um, hold the anger I could not hold grudges right I could not I I needed to be about the work I had to do right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So part of surviving is not keeping the poison inside. Yes, right? even yes. though they might inject you with poison. Yes, um, yes, yes. But yes. to but to yes. not to get rid of the poison to get the right, poison out. Right, right. What healings have you witnessed or received in teaching or the teaching life? Mm, yes. I think even from the beginning of, of my teaching, I remember being in Detroit, you know, so many hurt people in our communities. And I had students, I remember, uh, I remember a couple, you know, I've, I've experienced this to this day, but uh, I remember a couple early on, a, a guy came to a class, was in my biblical hermeneutics class, and he uh, had a son who was killed, right? And this was like some seven years before he, you know, he came to seminary and he expressed that he was looking for healing. And I thought that strange coming at first coming to a seminary is expensive, right? It's an expensive form of healing. But of course, you know, uh, competent, uh, uh, affordable therapy is uh, sparse in our communities, right? And so he's there, and I remember him trying to write a paper, and I recommended to him Abraham Smith because he wanted to look at First Thessalonians because he saw consolation in there. And Abraham Smith had recently wrote his uh, book on First Thessalonians, uh, reading it as a letter of consolation. And so he used that, wrote his paper. He left seminary. He never came back. So I, I, I'm sure he found wow. what he Yes, he found What a story. Yeah. What a story. What have you enjoyed about the teaching life? or what has been your joy in the teaching line? 
I think it's been my joy uh, being uh, able, and this took a while to, to uh, after finding my voice, finding my passions, or identifying them, using them um, uh, in my teaching, my writing, um, um, or allowing them to guide my teaching and writing, uh, being able to impact students in ways they need to be impact, to be a, a force of, um, transformation in their lives, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. So early on, by your choice or by the system, you trained to be as a secretary and a person who could type more than 100 words in a minute. I say that so clearly because I too was the person who could type really, really quickly. Um, (laughs) So you were trained to support other people's projects. Mm -hmm. Then you became a paralegal to support somebody else's project. When did you and how did you stop supporting other people's project, but say, I am going to champion my own project? Mm-hmm. Yes. I think through uh, um, insult. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes. And I try to tell other people, you know, not only write your own work, don't wait for people to invite you. Do stuff yourself. Huh? So when the first one the first edited volumes, not not let me make clear, not true to our native land. I'm not gonna name it. <laughs> but mm-hmm. It wasn't true to our native land, but it's another one of the first volumes uh, that I contribute to. And all the um all the editors were men, right? And they were black men. And um I, you know, being a junior scholar, right, early, you know, early career scholar, wanting to make sure I get my work in on time, right? And so I submitted my essay on time. Uh this thing was published three years later. You know, my essay's old by then. <laughs> three years later. This this book was published three years later. And at one point in the process, I think I raised a question. Um I think I did, but anyway, I received the email from one of the editors, and in the email it said, "Where the f did you get these people?" Blah blah blah, right? And um, and I responded, and he says, "Oh, you weren't meant to get that 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 that, that email." I'm like, "Oh yeah, but we do it so I can see who I said, "Never get it. They're getting all the money too. I mean, we don't get much. We get pennies." <laughs> But still, you know, I'm like, no, I will, I will, I will never again just be sitting around waiting for people. We need to do our own projects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not, I mean, we're not saying uh, do not be collaborative. Yeah. But there is something about always asking Black women to support and and sacrifice for other people's projects. That's right. And, and I, I, yes, yeah, I believe in collaboration. I've mm-hmm. done a lot of collaborative. Uh, but I find across race, across ethnicity, women, right, uh, are rarely sought by the men in our, within our races and ethnicities as partners in writing, rarely. And so that means we have to do our own projects, right? Yeah. We have to support yeah. our own stuff. We have yeah. to get our own funding. We have to initiate and lead. Even if we do collaborate, it's still our project. And, yes. and and the work that we're shaping is because it's our passion, not our compromise and, and the way somebody else wants it done. Exactly. So I guess I just I've seen you evolve into that, 
right? I've seen your work and, and to the and to the benefit of the field and to the benefit of religious education in general, to 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 see you come to voice and then to use that voice for your own passions mm. um, has just been just fabulous. Mm, thank you. Yeah. Last question on the list of 13. So not now, but years and years and years from now, on your retirement, when you're looking back over your teaching career, what miracles will you have performed? Staying in the academy. Yeah, it's not easy. Mm -hmm. Many years, particularly <laughs> when I was like, I I'm leaving next year. <laughs> but something kept me going. I'm leaving next year. I Sometimes I think um, knowing you can exit, knowing there is an off-ramp, knowing you do have a choice allows you to stay in places that are particularly challenging. Mm -hmm. So, and, and we have to stop telling ourselves the academy is the only place we can work, our, that our scholarship can be fruitful. There are many places our scholarship can yes, be fruitful yes, other yes. than the academy. Yeah, and, and so many of us, I mean, I see some of us are, uh, are getting off and still able to work and have the energy and so forth. But some of us are getting off and we're not able because we have been so worn down. You know? yep. And that's, we want to we wanna not wait until mm -hmm. we beat up and broke down to then mm -hmm. exit. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Mitzi Smith, let me know when you're going to be, when your stand-up routine is ready. I'll gladly be an audience in preparation, <laughs> or I'll just buy tickets and come to the show. Either one, I'm 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 here for you. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> to our listeners, the Wabash Center website is the place. Look on our website for details about our regranting program for small and large project grants. Look to our website for information on our educational resources as well as our cohort experiences. A special thanks to Paul Myrie, our sound engineer, and Rachel Mills, our podcast producer. The music which frames this silhouette podcast is the original composition of Paul Myrie. Wabash Center for more than 28 years is exclusively funded by Lilly Endowment Incorporated. And we are out. How was that, Paul? <laughs> <laughs>